0: Hey, everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make
1: Ours Marvel. This is episode 54 of the show, where we are wrapping up our coverage of the comics that were released in April of 1964. And, Mike, I realized something. What's that? You know how we've celebrated a year on the show?
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Well, We had those three episodes the first week. Yeah. So really, this is a year.
0: Today? I think so. So we can have cake is what you're saying.
1: Dude, I totally had cake today. Do you want some cake? I would not turn down cake. I also have chocolate-covered Oreos because those are back in stores.
0: Oh. You know what? My wife or somebody, maybe it was work, brought home like these triple-stuffed Oreos they have now. Wow. Yeah? It's not even double-stuffed. It's getting kind of ridiculous, actually. The proportions. It's like, here is an inch-thick
1: cream with
0: <laughs> some cookie holding it together. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, if you don't like the cookie, I guess that's the way to go. That's pretty great. Yeah. But comics, I actually think tonight is ending this month pretty dang cool. Because the month started off pretty not cool.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Daredevil 2 was was, was something else. (laughs) Right. Um, This is actually going to be our last month that is this small.
0: Oh, well, 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 total comics, but we didn't cover four of them, right? So right. really, so yeah, that would be it, eight.
1: Uh, I think we didn't oh, cover seven. five of them. Seven. Yeah, we covered yeah,
0: seven. Yeah. Wow, um, that is tiny.
1: I didn't even realize the last time we had six, because six was kind of our standard for so long. The last time we had six comics was December.
0: Okay. Wow. So and it's the, been four months.
1: Yeah, this is our last month of seven. Next month. Two of our bi-monthlies go monthly, and we're going to have nine comics every month for a long time.
0: So Fantastic Four has been monthly since the beginning, right?
1: Um, it was around issue like six, I think, The Fantastic Four went
0: monthly. Oh, shucks. Okay. Because I was thinking we could go by that number as to how many months we've covered, but I guess we can't.
1: Yeah. Um, Fantastic Four and Hulk were kind of dancing back and forth for a while, uh, That's we right. didn't have consistently monthly comics until Strange Tales. No, not Strange Tales, because that was a month late. Uh, Journey into Mystery and Tales to Astonish started.
0: So none of these comic numbers are helpful to us in any way, really. None
1: of these comics numbers are, yeah, actually uh, meaningful.
0: All right. <laughs> Never mind. But uh, let's see. Tonight we start with a comic we haven't covered since number one, Strange Tales. Strange Tales 122. I have no idea how many issues we've covered since I don't know when we started, but it's uh, 122 now. Oh, is easy.
1: We start with 101.
0: Oh, okay. There you go. So this is our 22nd
1: issue, and are only... Good oh, oh my gosh. There are only 12 more issues of The Human Torch <sighs> after this one.
0: <sighs> well, I can't say that makes me super sad. <gasps> there are only 12 more issues of Giant Man. Also not super sad.
1: So April of nineteen sixty-five will end both of those
0: series. But Giant Man keeps going, doesn't he?
1: Uh, no, that he leaves the Avengers at that time, and his solo series stops as well. Doesn't Giant he spl- Man is canceled?
0: He doesn't split a book with Hulk or something, or Hulk just takes what? over?
1: Um, he he Hulk is going to join the book in two months, mm-hmm. and whenever Giant Man quits after sixty-nine, Namor takes his spot in seventy. Oh. And when The Torch quits after 134, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., takes his spot for 135.
0: And then so Giant Man is never a legit superhero again after that, pretty much? Um, (laughs) I don't think there
1: is another comic that has Ant-Man in the title until the 2000s. Yeah. I could be wrong.
0: No, I believe you. He's
1: not even technically in the title here. He does have a run in, like, Marvel feature, I think. One Mm. of those comics that – one of those, you know, books that Marvel did in the 70s that different series would run for five or 12 issues and then would change characters.
0: It's just – I mean, not that he wasn't a character anymore because obviously he comes back and forth in the Avengers and he's in the West Coast in a cool way kind of. But, like, it would be interesting to look back maybe at the end of 64 and see who the founding members of Marvel were and (laughs) what their status is because – you know that some of them are not going to be as important as they started out being. Right, right. And some of them are new kids on the block. But, so uh,
1: who, is, uh, who is Torching it up today?
0: Well, I did uh, Iron Man, so your oh. turn. You get to do Torch and Doctor I Strange. I get to do
1: Torch and Doctor Strange. All right. So we got uh, three against the Torch on the cover. This is the return of that terrible trio. From
0: that's their, Doctor- That's their name, not our description
1: it's It's kind of both,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, true.
1: oh, we got a new uh, we got a new corner box, oh, it's got both of them on it, yeah, Dr Strange is officially a cover character now. It's like he's he joined the Marvel Universe last month in
0: fantastic oh, four twenty seven was he not on the cover ever before this? Oh um, yeah, no, he was on the cover last week last month too, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to see. It's only been
1: relatively recent that he got his first cover mentions.
0: I think the last issue was the first time, but so yeah, now, now they're like, I think they're going to start really splitting up the books here soon, huh? That's going to be their Mm. new strategy. Two characters share a book. Right. Right. Anyway.
1: Well, um, we have our credits rapidly written by Stan Lee, speedily sketched by Dick Ayers, instantly inked by George Bell, and- Here's a debut, lazily lettered by S. Rosen. Yeah. We have our first insulting the letterer credits.
0: Wow. So he did that to himself.
1: I guess. I've always wondered what exactly was going on there. If the letterer would just like take a jibe at himself.
0: Or if it was up to him at all to even do this or somebody assigned right. it. Anyway. Sounds very Stan Lee to me. I wonder if he like I wonder if he just told him what to write.
1: So the last time we saw the Doctor Doom, he had these three henchmen. That he mm-hmm. pulled kind of out of nowhere. There was a handsome guy who would, like sneak up on you with his handsomeness and take advantage of your trust named handsome Harry. There was um an Indian man named uh Yogi Dakori or Yogi Dakor, who is I don't know, he, he has like, fireproof. Yeah, he's fireproof and he has tricks and he took out the torch last time. And there's bill bull brogan, who's like uh bit of a bruiser, can beat you up, he's super strong. So the Dr. Doom, I don't know, that's twice I've said that Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom found each of these three and enhanced their natural talents to make them even more amazing. So, and at the end of the mission, Dr. Doom sent them off to another dimension, Dragon (laughs) Ball Z style. Yeah. And we find out after a lengthy recap of previous events that whenever the Fantastic Four also sent Dr. Doom to another dimension or into space or something, his ability to keep track to keep the other 3 in the other dimension ended and they popped back into ours. Yippee. Which we're going to talk about that later cuz that's weird. Yeah. Um so they're all chilling around, hanging out, doing whatever, and they decide they need to go after the torch. So the torch is uh watching TV at home. He's like, "Oh man, all I can do today is watch TV. That's so terrible. Sitting around watching TV for hours is a horrible way to spend an evening." Crazy child. Um and this guy shows up. He's like, "Hey, I want to see your sports car for my magazine. And George's like, Hey, I got this cool sports car. And guys like, cool. Gotcha. And he turns out to be one of the three terrible trio guys. And the other two show up at the door. They throw a tarp over Johnny to muffle his flame. And they stuff him in the back of a car and they kidnap him. Um, and they're like in their vehicle. He like, he's like, I can't flame on, but I can smoke. And so he makes a lot of smoke, which makes the fire truck people come or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, he's able to catch fire again, and he burns his way out of the vehicle. There's a there's a fight with the trio. They douse him with water. Uh, I think this is the second time they douse I think they douse him with water earlier, too, whenever they got the tarp over. Him. That's why he couldn't flame on. They douse him with water again. And... Um, that lasts just long enough for everyone to kind of gloat for a second. Then he's like, haha, Just fooled you! I can actually flame on again." So he flames on and captures the bad guys, um, and I forget exactly how he gets back home. But he ca- he stops the bad guys, and then he's oh, since they, they since they attacked him in his home, he kind of wrecked things at home. And the last thing we see is Susan Storm comes home and is like, Johnny Storm, I leave you home for one hour and this is what you do to the house? Yeah. And that's the end.
0: So it's kind of funny. Like, <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. I'm losing my voice tonight, I think. Fair warning. Don't do that. But, but uh, this came out, what, on April 9th? And then mm-hmm. the other book we're going to talk about tonight, also April 9th? Mm-hmm. So they were like, hey. You know those two trios we've come up with so far that nobody likes? Let's bring them back on the same day.
1: The other trio being the, oh, the Thinker, the Mad.
0: Oh, I didn't even think about that. I was thinking the Spider-Man guys. Uh, Oh, the Enforcers. I like the Enforcers. Oh, do you? I don't know. They're whatever.
1: Anyway, it's just kind of weird. You don't have to, but I I dig them.
0: Okay. Well, it just seemed like they're both kind of the same idea, like these three characters that I was amazed made second appearances.
1: They kinda are. You're not wrong. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Ditko's enforcers are so much better than Kirby's terrible trio. Uh
0: well I'll agree with you there. Definitely better. But still it was just kind of funny to me that it's like wow these these like henchmen guys in that come in threes are are in two books in the same day.
1: Well, a couple of random thoughts on the top of my off the top of my head about that. Um the enforcers have benefited from not having an ethnic stereotype in their group. Yeah. Um, they do have a Texan stereotype that doesn't bother me as much being Texan. Um and I feel like they all have personality to them. They have some character to them. I I kind of, you know, the way Dicko draws in Montana, Montana is very casually cool and confident. He's always like leaning back against the wall, just chilling there, being Montana. Then he gets his rope out and he's like awesome with the lariat. Um, the ox is just adorable. Oh yeah. And fancy Dan, he's just a little guy who, I don't know. He just pop into action. He'll. There's this one panel I see of him always like blowing smoke off of his cigarette stick into somebody's face. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I love that. So I don't know. I just, I really like the enforcers.
0: Another thing that's not so great about the trio is it's kind of weird that they're, together in the first well i mean dr doom brought them together and i remember Mm -hmm. how i remember how he sent like a freaking robot to watch the court system and find just the right people that he could enhance and he recruited them and and then like yeah but it's like why is a handsome guy and a magic guy and a big bruiser guy together and then on top of that what's weird about this issue in addition to the really long recap which man yeah that was a lot of recap that was three pages out of these 10-page stories and recap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, they get out of the dimension and they want to hang out and stay together and keep working for Dr. Doom for some reason. So that was weird.
1: And would you have predicted back when we read 23 that these guys would come back before Dr. Doom came back?
0: I would not have predicted they'd ever come back. Right. They that, were so yeah. they were so pointless in that story that like, halfway through the story, Dr. Doom just dismisses them and we never see them again.
1: Um, They... I knew they had a Strange Tales appearance again, so I knew that was coming. Um, I just didn't think it would be, you know, before we got another Doctor Doom story. Yeah. The weird thing is, is this is not their last story.
0: Oh, boy. Good. Good. Well, it was left on a cliffhanger, you know. We need more information. (laughs) So you had something to say about Doctor Doom and his control over the alternate dimensions and not not having them?
1: You send somebody, you banish somebody somewhere, uh-huh. and then you have to like mentally keep them there.
0: Yeah, that does seem That's like a weird. pain. That seems like a bad spell.
1: Yeah, don't use that exit spell or banish spell or whatever it is.
0: It reminds me of like when Kyle Rayner first became a Green Lantern. He found he saw it, met a guy who had no leg, so he created a Green Lantern leg for him. But then the problem was when he stopped concentrating on it, the leg disappeared, and the guy like fell down the stairs, and it was like a big problem. Oh, that is. 'cause he I didn't did, he didn't know cuz right. he's a new he's new to being a green lantern. So the guy's like, "I'm so happy I have a green leg." And then like Kyle, I think he got hurt or his charge ran out and the guy just like lost his leg.
1: I kind of love that as a story idea. There's a lot of yeah. you know, pathos there. Mhm.
0: But yeah, that seems weird that you got to like okay, keep those guys in there. Keep them in there. Also, he didn't die or anything. He's just in space. But whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so if I remember right, we're going to get a really interesting bit whenever he, you know, he's on his way back to Earth. But yeah, he's in space, right?
0: He's in space because it was that weird issue where we didn't really understand what happened, but the building dissolves because of oh, some, yeah. some weird space phenomenon. And he gets sucked in space and the Fantastic Four don't because they jump through the door or something. Right. I, I
1: was know. super impressed that Johnny even knew these guys' names. He calls them by name on page five. And I'm like, really? I couldn't have told you. I read them
0: off the page the weekend. Well, Johnny keeps that book. Remember of all his mediocre villains. Oh, that's right. He has the album. So he probably put it in there.
1: Oh my! I forgot about that. That's adorable. I love the idea of his album. Yeah. Um, He gets doused in 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 water,
0: Mm -hmm. and um. That was where? Oh, with the firemen. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I wanted to write down what does he say? He says, crap, where is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's page nine. Mm-hmm. Page nine. He's, this is how he's able to get flamed on again. I wasn't oh, sure. Yeah. I can remember how it happened. He's in the back of this truck. He says, I'm lucky Reed helped me install this quick drying shower. I Instead thought he of went water, home. It's going to jet spray thin streams of concentrated steam heat.
0: Yeah. This You're
1: using steam, which not- is. To not water be wet. Yeah. To dry off.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that okay. was a little weird. I think it's I just find it really weird how easy it is to flame him off.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um especially since we've now read Golden Age Human Torch and he just laughed off people trying to throw water on him because it just he just dissolved it. Right. Or just, you know, vaporized it with his heat. It too it's hot. like it's like Johnny can go supernova, but he can't handle like someone pouring water on him. He just instantly is powerless. Yeah, I know. I, it happens
1: I, twice in this issue.
0: I'm pretty sure this goes away eventually. I hope, but it's like there's so many ways to get Johnny to not be flamed. Asbestos rope, they tied him up in in this issue, for instance. Yeah, things like uh-huh. that just drive me kind of nuts. Well,
1: once the torch is no longer a solo story, he no longer needs like to be taken out easily by villains. They they have a, so many more options. Yeah, I mean, they should have options here too, but. You know, as part of a team, it's it's just a different dynamic. Um, he gets doused by water twice in the story. And then one time he gets doused. And by the end of the page, he's able to fly flame on again.
0: Okay, so that was interesting. It was, they he was doing good. I kind of liked the second fight a little more. I liked that he, like, lassoed his own fireballs and was knocking people around with them. Because he could control the fire mm-hmm. and where it went. So it was like... He was making the fire move around and wrapping rope around people and stuff. That was kind of an interesting move because he doesn't normally talk about how he can, like, manipulate fire to move where he wants right. it to, right? That was neat. But then, yeah, they eventually squirt him with water, and he's, like, getting crushed to death by what's-his-face, Bro, Bull Brogan. And there's, like, these three panels of them all going, ha, 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 you're so lame, ha, ha, ha. And then that's just, like, makes him – it says it turns in – or uh, and the anger deep within him turns into a white hot fury a pulsing pounding blazing rage and he's able to right. he's able to uh flame on again way sooner than he normally would which was kind of weird
1: yeah it or really cool. felt like yeah i don't know
0: i don't know if it's cool or not but it's like he's never done that before so maybe this is a new uh new turning point for him or not cuz then later they also say oh you just didn't soak him with enough water and he's like yeah i should have i should have soaked him more
1: Didn't they say The Torch is going to start getting 18-page stories or something?
0: I seem to recall us talking about that. Maybe they just gave Doctor Strange more pages, huh?
1: Maybe. I don't know. But I feel like the story does kind of just end out of
0: nowhere. Uh, Like, yeah.
1: It's a trope to have them turn these guys over to the police or something. Um, We actually don't see what happens to anyone.
0: No, we don't. And in We're fact, with- and he ch- he chases the, the pretty guy, mm-hmm. he puts the other two in a flame cage, and then, uh, yeah, it just cuts to his sister yelling at him.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess tying up Yogi on page 10 is done for him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, because the one guy in a flame cage on page 12 leaves him, handsome whatever gets away, so he chases him, tells him to dig his car out of the mud... Oh, a short time later, after the trio has been delivered to the police, is oh. sister returns home.
0: But still, that's just like, wow. Well, I mean, they wasted three pages on recap, so they yeah, kind of had to go faster. Ah, uh, ho-hum story. I actually think these guys fit better as a Human Torch villain than a Fantastic Four villain. Most definitely. So that was a little better, because three to one odds is kind of cool. Their plan is weird. They totally capture him in, like, five seconds, and their plan is to leave him in, like, this abandoned RV parking lot. To escape, I guess. Not just kill him or something. Because mm-hmm. whole, the whole thing is they want to defeat the Fantastic Four before their master, Dr. Doom, comes back. You know, the master that treated them like crap in the right. first place. So the,
1: ma- the master they're so devoted to.
0: Some, for some reason, they're devoted to him. They don't really go into why. And then, yeah, they, they want to take the Fantastic Four out one at a time. So they start with the Torch because he was the youngest. So therefore the easiest. Even though, really, he's probably the most powerful of the team. But okay. And uh, yeah, it's a weird plan. And it's kind of repetitive.
1: As I was reading it, I was kind of enjoying parts of it. And I felt like there might be a half-decent story in there somewhere, but there were just too many missteps. Mm-hmm. Going back through it, I'm having trouble figuring out what I was enjoying. So we're not, I'll just write that one off,
0: I guess. We're not getting any like Johnny Storm love life and stuff, which is kind of just disappointing me.
1: For some reason, I felt like that was more of a thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it should like be. She's
1: been around now for a good six months. We've hardly seen her.
0: This book should be like Archie with superpowers or something cuz yeah how come he doesn't go to school like Peter and how come he doesn't have like drama with girls and stuff like Peter you know he he, he just fights things all the time
1: as a teenage superhero which you know originally we uh, you know I mentioned that we kind of saw it in the earlier issues uh, uh, some super superboy tropes mhm there's nothing teenage no. about the torch in these
0: no. comics no, he doesn't even like TV. How square is that?
1: This <laughs> and this is in the day and era when like watching like the bandstand and the music the music shows and everything on TV was totally what teens were doing.
0: I know. I think they're trying to make him sound like an adventurer or something. Yeah.
1: Do you think that him saying that watching TV was boring was supposed to be like like instruction to the kiddies?
0: Well, that could be. Yeah. Or if you want to frame it in the his character, it's just that he's used to action and moving around yeah. and stuff. But he's a hot shot, hothead, whatever.
1: Well, should I move on to The World Beyond?
0: Yes, please.
1: All right. Well, this is The World Beyond, Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, featuring Nightmare. It is written with a touch of sorcery by Stan Lee, drawn with a dash of necromancy by Steve Ditko, lettered with a number six penpoint <laughs> by Art Simic. That was good.
0: I like that. Wow. You know what? If there was like wannabe letterers out there, that might've been a great caption for them. Yeah. Like they're like, when they're kids, what's a number six pinpoint? I have to find this.
1: Okay. So Dr. Strange is just kind of, you know, really tired. He comes home. He's been doing lots of Dr. Strange missions and he just like falls asleep on his table. Then he wakes up and there's this like Dementor in his room, um, covered in smoke and Doctor Strange's amulet is powerless against him. He tries to send his ectoplasmic form, but he can't. He can't leave his physical body. So he physically attacks this this, you know, hooded ghost of Christmas future, and his arms go right through it, and he realizes all of this is because he's still asleep. Usually when he goes to sleep, he sets up wards around his sleeping form to keep away you know, evil powers. Mm-hmm. But Nightmare must have been watching and has captured him. So the hooded figure encases Doctor Strange in a transparent globe and sends him cascading through the dimensional barrier into the Nightmare world. He lands in front of Nightmare's throne, the globe dissipates, and he and Nightmare basically like talk at each other and argue. And then nightmare starts going on and on and on about how he can do all these terrible, horrible, no good, very bad things to Doctor Strange. And so, what does he decide to do? He decides to pull a spike monster called the Gul Gul out of some <laughs> other dimension and have it attack Doctor Strange. And so, Doctor Strange is like, "Oh no, I can't beat him." Um, and no, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong, aren't I?
0: Yes, Doctor Strange pulls the Gul Gul. You're
1: right. Nightmare is talking about all these things he can do and he's encased Doctor Strange in these big old chains. And then behind Nightmare, the Ghoul Ghoul comes out of a red portal and starts threatening Nightmare. And I was like, oh, no, you don't know what you've done. If he kills me, he's going to kill you, too, because you're going to die in the Nightmare world. And he's like, I guess you're going to have to set me free so I can send him back. I, I can't send him back if you if you got me in these chains. So Nightmare sets Doctor Strange back free he sends the ghoul goal back and then he uses his amulet which now is suddenly working I um, to go home but not before revealing oh by the way all of that was because i didn't actually get the ghoul goal to come i was hypnotizing you you thought it was happening and now we're cool uh i want to go home now and he does and he wakes up and he's like Phew, it's morning i wish i could get some sleep or something like that
0: yep or he's, I think he goes off about how humanity has no idea what he deals with or something like that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's always always standing on guard against against the evil forces to save humanity. Mm-hmm. So um, Doctor Strange is, of course, portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Benny Hanna Cactus Patch. <laughs> and in this issue, I don't know. I mean, Nightmare is back. We've seen him once or twice before. What did you think?
0: Um. Yeah, I think... He keeps getting the same villains. I like Nightmare as a villain, maybe a reoccurring villain more than the other reoccurring villains. Mm -hmm. Mainly because it's a vessel for uh, uh, Ditko to show off his bizarreness.
1: Right. There's some really cool bizarreness in this art.
0: Yeah. But that said, I do feel like the art's a little slacking on this issue. And I don't know if that's just because he's too busy with Green Goblin today. or Also, I'm not liking white... uh, doctor strange as much as exotic doctor strange right um it was a cool story i don't know if like uh an immortal um concept should be able to be hypnotized but that'd be my only real like criticism i guess yeah um, seems a little odd that you can do that
1: i thought it was kind of weird that nightmare was ranting so much
0: like he, he had a lot to say in this issue yeah he really hates uh doctor strange doesn't he
1: and he said something about how he's, like, tormented people and across the dimensions and galaxies and planets, and he's never met someone like Doctor Strange before.
0: Yeah. I guess the Marvel Universe isn't that big, because...
1: I guess. There's no other sorcerers out there? That's weird.
0: Yeah. Um, I like this idea, though, that, like, every night when Doctor Strange goes to sleep, this immortal being is sitting there going, Is he protected? Oh. And then they'll say, <laughs> Is he protected? Ah. Oh and then finally like <laughs> 366 days later oh, he forgot and then he grabs him
1: he forgot yeah yeah that's pretty great um i do like the storytelling notion of waking up and realizing you're still asleep uh-huh i grew up on movies like a nightmare on elm street and oh
0: gosh yeah yeah
1: it's just like that's just a cool concept for me it's 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 creepy and scary and and neat
0: yeah i mean if any character should Be having waking dreams and stuff, it's Doctor Strange, so that works.
1: Hypnotism in comics is kind of dumb for me, so or fiction in
0: general, yeah,
1: yeah, but at the same time, I didn't like the Gul Gul ex machina ending that we were getting. Mm -hmm. So to find out that there was a little bit more going on to him just pulling a random monster out of his pants was, uh, yeah, a a little bit good,
0: yeah. I mean, at least it made it so Doctor Strange was clever and tricked his way out which is cool mm-hmm. i don't know what a google is
1: it's it's that
0: thing yeah right it's there. That thing. See it? apparently it's something <laughs> it's something that never sleeps so therefore it's his mortal enemy which is kind of bonkers in a way but okay that is a little weird it's like why would nightmare care if you don't sleep that just means right. he has no influence doesn't mean you can kill him that's weird anyway right. anyway
1: um the only other thing I had about this is that those big chains he's in reminded me very much of the member journey into mystery eighty seven. Whenever Thor was putting those giant electronic chains, uh-huh. and he shape changed to Don Blake to get out of them. Yep, yeah, that was pretty great.
0: Yeah, that I was like shape
1: change, size change. Was what I meant to say like size change to get uh, this his second appearance? Something like that. Yeah, he was fighting uh, commies. And this is actually the last appearance of Nightmare for a really long-ass time. Oh, really?
0: He was yeah, That was, was Doctor Strange's first villain, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're not going to see him again until Doctor Strange 170, mm-hmm. which is, of course, after the book changes titles and becomes a feature-length Doctor Strange book, and we probably will never get there.
0: <laughs> it's cool because we know eventually all these otherworldly characters become more established and like uh, defined as to what they are in relation to other weird characters and so forth. Like we're going to get Mephisto's and nightmares Mm -hmm. and whatever. But so it's kind of neat to just see these early days of, it's just a weird Dr. Strange construct before they start over explaining everything, I guess. Right. Speaking of over explaining, let's move on to the next book and we'll over explain that.
1: I like over explaining
0: books. It's our jobs. So we are at fantastic four, number 28, which we have learned tonight does not mean that we've covered 28 months of Marvel.
1: No, he covered more than.
0: More than. Um, Also came out April 9th with a cover date of July. Yes, July. Let's see what's fancy about it. The cover is fantastic. We never talk about covers, but it's pretty cool. It's the awesome android, and in one hand he's got the X-Men, and in the other hand he's got the Fantastic Four, and they're fighting each other and ignoring the awesome android holding them. Pretty neat. Uh, Let's see. I was going to say it was boring credits, but it's not. It's just differently worded. It's written by Stan Lee, but then in parenthesis says, The Leader, drawn Mm -hmm. by Jack Kirby, the King, inked by Chick Stone, the Master, lettered by Art Simek, the Letterer. (laughs) (laughs) It's called We Have to Fight the X-Men. And it opens with um, our, our first family doing what they always do, hanging out. We've got Alicia there, too. She just created a statue of her lover. The thing and he's very happy about it because he loves to be the center of attention. Ironically, these days, um, it's also got Reed Richards and Sue Storm and Johnny reading about a newspaper article called "The Mystery X Men First Exclusive Photos." And Johnny talks about how he's already met Iceman and the Fantastic Four. Are like, wow, these X Men are kind of impressive. Um, then it cuts to after they, of course, mention the puppet master because Alicia's around. It then cuts to the puppet master because you know they have to wonder what, what's going on with the puppet master, and then he, of course, appears, mm-hmm. and he is showing up at the mad—is it Mad Thinker? Yeah. Yep. The Mad Thinker, not just the Thinker, uh, at his laboratory. He was summoned, and he walks in, and the first thing he sees is Super Adapto, and he's yay! But uh, the Mad Thinker's like, "Listen, I have this plan, and I need your powers to do it." So what do you say? And the Puppet Master is like positively enchanted with the Thinker and just signs up. And the plan is to shape or use his radioactive clay to create a statue or whatever it is a puppet, duh, Puppet Master, of Professor X, the mysterious leader of the X-Men. So he does that and he tries to, you know, put his will on him. But Professor X is not just your average... Thing or Invisible Girl, he's a freaking mutant with awesome telepathic powers. So he fights it really good for like two pages almost. But they keep adding more and more radioactivity material to the statue because that's what the Thinker's plan was. And ultimately, they they take him over. And once they take him over, they have him summon the X Men and they, he tells them, "You must go beat up the Fantastic four And they say, "What? Trust me, I'm a telepath and I read their minds and they're planning something horrible. Get over there." So they take the Blackbird which right now looks like a blimpy green helicopter thing. And they go over to the Four Freedoms Plaza, a.k.a. Baxter Building or whatever they're calling it. And the Fantastic Four are like, whoa, the X-Men are here. Let them in because they're awesome. And they have this cool panel of like them all shaking hands and being cool. But then pretty much immediately the X-Men start attacking them. Um, we got like Cyclops... I don't need to get into all that. They all just start fighting, essentially. But as they're fighting, it's kind of evenly matched. But then Reed Richards is like, you know, something's weird about this because it seems like they're not trying to hurt us, but they're trying to capture us. And they keep making comments that sound like they don't even know why they're doing it. So I'm going to order my guys to lose and surrender. So they all do that. The X-Men box... Invisible Girl in a box because, you know, it's Invisible Girl. And they put her in in the Blackbird and they fly away. Um, the Fantastic Four go after them. And I guess Professor X, like, ordered them to go to this mountaintop. So they all meet there. And then Professor X says, okay, now kill him for real this time. And they're like, really? He's like, yes, yeah, so you have to do what I say. So they attack again and they get into another fight. But this mountaintop had already, like, Stuff planted there by the Thinker, like weapons that help the X Men take down the Fantastic Four, much to their surprise because the X Men didn't even know that stuff was there. So they capture everybody, and then Puppet Master wills Professor X to make the X Men unconscious because, you know, what are they going to do with them? Oh, they reveal themselves. I forgot. Thinker and the Puppet Master then reveal themselves. The X Men are like, hey, wait a minute. You've been manipulating us the whole time. So then the Puppet Master tries to get Professor X to make them go unconscious with his telepathic powers. But the Beast is super, super, super smart and has an awesome brain. And he manages to resist long enough to leap across the uh, field and knock the Puppet Master over and step on Professor X's puppet. And that, of course... Freeze Kills Professor X. Yes, that kills Professor X immediately. No, <laughs> But it frees the X-Men regardless um, to do what they want, to wake up. Meanwhile, the Fantastic Four are all getting out of their traps thanks to the thing. And uh, 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 Mr. Fantastic's like, yeah, the X-Men weren't ever bad. I knew it. Let's help them. Stop the Thinker and the Puppet Master. But, of course, they can't just do that because then the super awesome android comes out and both teams fight that thing. Which is really, really hard to beat because it can adapt to all their powers. But Professor X finally, who didn't die actually, is recovering. And he scans out there to see what's going on. And he somehow scans the artificial body of the awesome android and uses his own telepathic power to put mental pressure at a certain part of the nervous system
1: or something like that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. That's weird.
0: Yeah. And so the android falls over and everybody goes, wow, we beat it somehow even though we didn't. Um, The Thinker and the Puppet Master escape. The X-Men apologize. The Fantastic Four say, hey, we totally understand. I'm sure we will also fight people all the time in error. And they all go their separate ways happily ever after.
1: So remember in 2012, there was that big Avengers versus X-Men story?
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: I read that and my favorite part was how the X-Men fought the Avengers because Xavier told them to while he was being mind controlled by the puppet master. And at the end of the story, the X-Men found out that Xavier didn't really want them to fight the Avengers, and Scott was so mad that he killed Professor Xavier for it. So, um What? You know, it was pretty great.
0: Is that what really happened?
1: Well, all except for the mind
0: controlled Oh. <laughs> well there's a been there's <laughs> no, been multiple they, they, avengers versus x-men so i'm not sure no, which a ones really i've read
1: like 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 crossover storyline that shifted the status quo and everything else but that's that's me making a oh. long reach for a joke
0: oh um this was fun was this the first like fight 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 we've had with two teams or has that happened already
1: i mean there was some with avengers a couple of issues back well avengers versus fantastic four
0: kind of ish they were fighting the hulk
1: yeah, they got in each other's way to fight yeah. the Hulk. You're right. This is probably the first
0: Like I want on to fight team you. Team versus team. Yeah. I think it is, because it felt really fun.
1: The title is delightful. We have to fight the X Men. Mm-hmm. Like that's what's happening now in this issue. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um Marvel Girl has a new outfit. Just wanna point that out before I forget. Not a new outfit, just a new mask.
1: I and I like it. I like the red hair showing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It just makes her a little different than everybody else. Although they're all different, aren't they, at this point? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, kind of, they're, they're, they're the same style, but yeah, they're different cuts. It uh, does make her look less like the Beast and Cyclops and Angel.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, Alicia's back. I feel like we haven't seen Alicia in a long time. Well, it's because we've had a whole lot of team-ups.
1: That and um, she... Avengers were in 25 and 26 with the oh, Hulk. yeah. Then there was Doctor Strange in 27, whenever Reed goes crazy to find... Uh, Sue underwater and now we're here. So I don't think we have actually seen Alicia since at least as far back as 25.
0: I feel like the way they use her anytime she shows up, the puppet master is not far behind though, which is kind of a sad use of the character.
1: It's, it seems to be a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. I would like to see some more like thing Alicia dating outside of drama, maybe. Mm -hmm. But anyway.
1: I don't even know if we get that before, like, I don't know, Marvel two and one. Yeah. Um, the ridiculousness of the puppet master's power is brought out in this in a couple of ways. One, the puppet he makes for Charles Xavier is so nondescript
0: because they don't know what he looks like. Right. Or they just think, how Oh, he this works. is going to be.
1: Yeah. Do they even know that there's a, I guess they know there's a professor X.
0: Well, they call him the mysterious leader. And I was wondering when they read that, but I didn't do any research cause I'm lazy for the show, but like, Does anybody – I guess the government publicly knows he exists because he's interacted with them. But like does anybody know that the leader of the X-Men is the guy in the wheelchair and do they know he has telepathic powers? Is that like public knowledge?
1: Well, I don't even – I didn't even think that they knew there was a leader of the X-Men beyond the actual team.
0: Yeah. Like – Right. They keep that secret. Except for what's-his-face in issue number two at the White House lawn where he gets rolled in and makes the guy forget – the vanisher – like, that's his only real public appearance that I can think of. Right, and he mind wipes everyone. Then. Right, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, but I guess you could argue that the thinker knows a lot of stuff. I mm-hmm. still I still don't understand if it's, his, if it's his power that he knows everything or if he just has this cool computer that he relies on to know everything.
1: I think it's a combination. It's got to be a combination.
0: Okay, because he's always looking at a printout. Like, the computer just told him the odds or something.
1: Right, never tell me the odds except for right here on this paper.
0: Yeah. Um, you- he says, for
1: weeks, I've examined every fact I can learn about the X-Men trying to do what their leader looks like. The uh-huh. idea that there's a leader should not even be a thing because they don't talk about it. On that table in front of you is a rough mold of a head, a head which I believe must resemble the mysterious Professor X. That name Professor X shouldn't exist in anyone's mind. And that head is a blank human head that resembles everyone
0: it's a bald mannequin but luckily they're not wrong because they just happen to they just happen to uh uh, you know catch on to the fact that the professor x is a walking bald mannequin too so yeah a wheeling bald mannequin
1: the other thing that i didn't like about this scene is that while like while the puppet master is agonizing over the puppet the mad thing is like add more clay add more clay And then he gives a very specific thing. Uh I have it all figured out to the last centimeter. Use another four and a third grams of radioactive clay. Hurry. Okay, dude, why didn't you just give him the precise amount of clay he needed at the beginning of his sculpting? Because, you know, with sculpture, if you add on clay, you have to redo, like, your sculpture.
0: Yes. And also, that's... Flying in the face of what he just said, which was, I don't even know what this dude looks like, but I know the exact amount of clay needed to get over this power that he has that I know nothing about.
1: That's right. How do they even know they're trying to conquer his mental power? There's no con... Uh.
0: And the plan is to use his mental power. So...
1: See, the thing is, this, this story is pretty fun. Yeah, But the fundamental crux of what it's based on is
0: bullshit. (laughs) That's the problem with the Puppet Master in general and always has been. It's like, this doesn't make any dang sense. I don't understand how it works. But I, I was reading this going, can anybody use this clay and have mind powers over it or only him? I don't even remember. But I
1: like that they uh, mentioned that Torch has met the Iceman because yes. they almost never acknowledge strange tales in this book. Uh-huh. And so it
0: kind of delights me when they do. That was very cool because I was wondering about that because, uh, you know, it took two pages to get there. But yeah, they did mention it. Um, do you think that, like, I sort of made a joke about it in the, my synopsis, but I feel like Puppet Master is really enamored with the Thinker. Uh, oh, yeah? Normally he's like, you know, A cranky, contrary, weird, creepy-looking dude. But he just Mm -hmm. went right along. And of the team-ups we've had, usually they fight first or slam each other first or something. But he's like, you sound so confident. I can't help but believe you. And then just starts helping him, you know? That's a little weird. I
1: I love the idea that the puppet master is gay for the thinker. (laughs) I want that in my life. (laughs) It's just what it seems like. This doesn't have any of the backbiting, any of the, I'll just, you know, it's all your fault if, you know. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that at the end, but not like, remember remember um, the wizard and and Scott Pete?
0: Oh, yeah. They hated each other. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that was not happening here. So I like that.
0: Um, I love that Professor X can resist, at least to some level. That was cool. He was
1: able to resist the power of the clay.
0: For a little while. Five seconds, but. uh, So we get.
1: We get to the awesome android.
0: Uh-huh. Um, if you remember,
1: we talked about the Fantastic Four 15. I mentioned how, you know, later on, whenever the thinker comes back, he mentions his earlier appearance here. And I always get kind of confused when I read issue 28 about how things went down in issue 15, when he talks about how he um, stole the android from Van- from Reed Richards, because I can never remember that happening in an earlier issue. And it's always, you know, a bit of a gap of time between reading fifteen and reading twenty eight because you know there's all the issues in between. So I went back and did research. And the reason I always have trouble remembering how the Mad Thinker stole the Android from Reed Richards is because he didn't. <laughs> no. Reed he Reed didn't. Richards did not create the awesome Android. No, he didn't the mad thinker and Susan storm and Reed Richards all talk about him creating the awesome Android. He came up with, he held up this like jar with this little weird fish floating around. And he's like, I've created a new form of life. And right. then later in the issue, yeah, the thinker steals his notes and says, I found these notes for this new form of life. I'm going to use that. And then he builds the awesome Android.
0: So their sentence is a little too succinct, but they should be saying it's something like I created the awesome android based on some, you know, scientific finding I found in Reed Richards' lab or something.
1: Something like or that. Or Reed
0: Richards inspired the idea of the awesome Android or I don't know. Yeah. Something. Yeah. It really yeah. makes it sound like he invented it. And then you wonder, well, why do they have it then? Also, why would he invent that? Because it's scary.
1: <laughs> it's a little bit of a weird creature, isn't it? Yeah. I love the awesome android as he is and the um the She-Hulk in, like, the last 10 or 20 years. Uh-huh. When he's, like, this, like, cute, lovable character. Anyways. Um Remember when... Okay, yeah, page six. Panel uh-huh. one. Where are we? Page six. Yeah. First panel. Why, Professor, there's no logic in it. He says, I'll decide that. Remember, the power of my mutant brain enables me to listen into other people's thoughts. I determined that the Fantastic Four plan... And it's like... Remember when I was using my super powerful brain on every mission, so I faked losing my powers so you wouldn't rely on my super powerful brain? Yeah, scratch all that. My brain knows what to do, <laughs> and this is what we're doing.
0: The X-Men are kind of dumb when it comes to Professor X, I think. They trust that man way too much. Way too much. I mean, this is that's the freaking Fantastic Four. They're, they're not like... I mean, they have like one sentence of maybe we shouldn't be doing this, but otherwise just go, go right along with it.
1: They're the nation's forefront world-renowned superheroes and you are kids in a school yeah there's there's a difference here (laughs) yeah
0: what a great fourth panel though man that made the book for me i really love that panel where they're all just getting together and shaking hands and stuff
1: it's a great panel scott edelman was tweeting the same panel
0: i think i think uh the thing might be uh i don't know what you call it when you don't like mutants racist is it a different race i don't know
1: it, that, that's, bigotry is a more umbrella bigotry, term. bigotry
0: works yeah because yeah. like in this panel he's like hey those are big wings what do they feed you bird food which okay that could just be the thing but then I think at the end he actually says something nastier refugees from a freak show if you ask me or something like that it's like dude you mm-hmm. you hang out with a freak show so how are they more freaky you know I don't know seemed a little bad attitude to me
1: okay so I'm done but I'm going to leave this in the show um, Scott Edelman was not tweeting this image. He was tweeting the oddly similarly constructed image of the Fantastic Four playing with the kids in the street in that get-to-know-the-Fantastic Four story.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: Wow. Like, it, the, 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 the layout of the image was enough that it, the, the impression it left in my mind was very much like this one. Um, I don't know why. I guess it's maybe just Reed Richards' Holding out his arms straight but bent at the elbow is really the only thing that's actually that similar about it. But for some reason it's stuck in my brain. So I'm just gonna that's a really weird gaff that I just made. Um, but I do love that. I love the getting to know each other. Uh-huh. This feels like they have been making concerted efforts to unite their universe. Uh-huh. And also with the Avengers and Doctor Strange and this issue.
0: Meeting the Avengers was in the heat of battle. This is like Hey, come on over for, you know, chips and dip, right? It just is cooler. It's cooler. And also I was thinking like the FF and the X-Men have so much more in common than than, uh, the Avengers, you know, because the Avengers are like we always talk about are like the all-star team that get together once in a while. But the FF and the X-Men all live with each other Mm -hmm. and are like a family. Um, And future
1: incarnations of the Fantastic Four do reimagine them as being based in a school.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah, the Ultimate Fantastic Four and the one from the, uh, the, the recent film.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true, it, too. It,
1: you're right that there are definitely f- uh, feelings of the two that are similar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, you know, things go down and they, Reed tells them to let the X-Men do what they're going to do. And they kidnap Sue. And I know that Reed feels like he's got things under control. But also, they just kidnapped Sue. Remember last issue when somebody kidnapped Sue? Reed was not chill.
0: No, but I feel like he's chiller here because he is confident that they're not wanting to hurt the Fantastic Four. That's all I could come up with there. Okay. Uh, Because he has it in his mind that, like, he wants to learn their motive for the attack, and so we're going to pretend to surrender. I guess he doesn't say that he doesn't think they want to hurt him, but he does make them surrender. So that suggests to me that, like, He's never done that before. Right. He doesn't fight bad guys and say, let's just surrender to see what they'll do. So it suggested to me that he doesn't think the X-Men are actually out for blood. And then, oh, later they find Alicia like stuffed in a closet all safe. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, see, that just goes with my theory that they're not trying to actually hurt us or they would have just killed her. Right? Right. Um, Did you want to pass by the whole spanking thing or should we not even bring it up? Are we tired of talking about this horribleness? Oh, crap. I forgot about that. Where (laughs) is that? It's right before page 10. The thing is going to grab Miss Marvel or Miss Marvel, Jean Grey, and like give her a spanking for breaking his statue. And then the X Men are like, No, only we get to spank her, or something like that. They don't say that. I made that up.
1: Is he going to? Okay, it looks like. All right. It looks like he's going to spank her. I don't think he's actually going to spank her. On
0: page eight, she breaks his statue because she tried to pick it up and hit him with it, and it was too heavy, and she drops Uh it. And he says, If you weren't a female, I'd demolish you. But the only thing I can do to a nut like you is give you the spanking of your life.
1: And she's like, "I remember reading that. I did not realize that he actually tries to."
0: Yeah, he's holding her over his knee, and it looks like he's about to pound her butt. And then the beast like jumps on his head to stop him. And then Iceman takes over and like puts ice blocks on his feet and stuff. But she's like crying, "Do something! He's caught me!" Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna.
1: Yeah, that's bad. Also, Jean Grey totally could have gotten out of that. Yeah. But you know, we'll we'll leave that aside because oh my gosh. (laughs) Why was uh, Yeah, not great. Why was it ever a thing to treat women
0: like small children? Especially since she is a child, kind of. Not that Okay, she is a teenager, but but even No, you don't beat other people's teenagers, and he doesn't know she's a teenager, so
1: I mean she yeah, she's okay,
0: yeah. Uh yeah yeah Ugh. anyway, just weird, more weird sixty four stuff,
1: yep, sadly, I mean the idea of spanking a woman as like a way of dealing with her makes its way into stories way, way way later than sixty four like I think we're reading a book like written in nineteen ninety that was set in the fantasy world, and that was what was said, It was just like, oh my gosh, yeah, no, but anyways, um, and then they put invisible girl in a box, they do the The women are weirdly powerless in this issue. Um, I I think,
0: yeah, Jean particularly seems like she can't even lift the statue. She was going to hit Thing with it and she just drops it because it's too heavy. And she's like, oh, my head. And then Invisible Girl, I think at some point does get Jean in a bubble. But then she drops her because Reed gets captured and she goes to run to save him or something like that. That's really the only thing she does.
1: And Sue doesn't fight off them capturing her because Reed says let them them see what they're going to do. But it also means that Sue has to let herself be captured Mm -hmm. and rescued. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know. It was a cool fight, though, both of them. (laughs)
1: Okay. This is a really fun story until you actually start to look
0: (laughs) at it. Yeah. Um, No, but I like the fights. It's hard. I think it's hard to... When you have two superheroes fighting or two super teams fighting to balance a cool fight and not make someone lose face, you know? Yes. Because you don't want the X-Men to look bad. You don't want the Fantastic Four to look bad. And I think they did a good job of, of, you know, letting the Fantastic Four lose but it being Reed's idea was a kind of a cool story strategy. I like that too. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. And I like the, I like the traps, especially the thing falling down a hole and then like punching his way back up and saving everybody. That was cool. Uh, do you
1: think that um, during the second fight on the on the little mound, do you think whenever Johnny and Bobby are going at each other that they, like, chat while they're fighting?
0: Yeah, they should. That would have been neat if they did that.
1: You weren't like this back at the Barracuda. Yeah, well, neither were you.
0: Yeah, they don't even say anything. I don't even think Bobby talks this entire issue. He might not. Um, I like how the Thinker and Puppet Master just kind of rise up out of the ground when Fantastic Four lose. like,
1: it is us. Yeah. It's really funny. They're just like, also, that mound was full of traps. And it's just like, okay, did the thinker set all of this up, like, by himself?
0: I guess. I guess that's why he wanted them to be lured there instead of just beat them at their home base to make sure that they actually got defeated. Mm -hmm. Which actually did work because this, at this point, Reed is not saying, oh, no, he does say, but try not to hurt anyone if possible. So he is still holding back. But still, those traps were pretty effective.
1: I mean... The Fantastic Four lose.
0: Yeah, they lose.
1: The only reason this works out is because the Beast smashes the
0: puppet. All right, so let's talk about that.
1: And the the thing gets out of – I mean, the thing was in a trap that he's able to get out of. That helps save the day, too. All right,
0: so Professor X is being told to use his awesome telepathy to knock out the X-Men, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: there's this caption that says, Yes, but spreading his power so thin amongst five people makes him a little weaker. And I thought, okay, well, I guess. But we know he can do more than five people, can he? Anyway, but aside from that, the one who gets up was the Beast because he has a smart brain. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you're really smart, you can resist telepathy.
1: And They it, established the intelligence earlier in this issue in kind of a cool moment with, um, with the thing.
0: And I thought at first that's really cool that the Beast got up and did that because I'm liking the Beast lately with his new – way of talking and stuff but mm-hmm. uh then i thought well wouldn't it have been cooler if it was Jean who resisted it but i wasn't sure if we established that she has any telepathic abilities
1: she's telekinetic at this point i don't think there's any telepathy yet okay. i think that actually comes quite a bit later
0: that's what i thought i've only remembered her moving things not actually having like a weaker version of professor x's powers. so
1: that might be a result of the phoenix powers I don't remember exactly, but it might be. I don't. I don't know if she's telepathic in this overage at all.
0: Well, not yet, anyway. So the beast is anyway, the beast yeah. is the mental resistor. That was pretty neat.
1: So we can we can make a sort of a little like compound inequality here if we wanted. So we've got Puppet Master plus radioactive clay uh-huh. is greater than Professor X. Yeah, and one fifth of Professor X is less than the Beast. I guess so. But also the Beast is greater than the Puppet Master by himself with no radioactive clay.
0: Well, that's pretty easy, yeah. Yeah, the Puppet Master's nothing without his puppet. Yeah.
1: And then the android fight happens, and that is a fantastic panel on page 18.
0: And it's a great fight, too, until... um, Yeah, I think you and I agree that this makes no sense, how they beat him, or...
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, so... Professor Xavier is telepathic.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. He's not telekinetic. He doesn't move stuff with his mind. So either he's influencing the mind of this artificial construction, which is not what it says. It says he exerts pressure on... What is it? A precise pressure on the exact control center of the artificial body. So he's like squeezing the brain node or something inside this body. And that's, that's not his power.
0: Also, it's an artificial being. Can he even read its abilities or read its mind or figure out that there's a pressure point he can squeeze? No, I wouldn't, I would, I would, I would have thought not. Yeah. So that seemed like a little kind of a bad cheat, but oh, well.
1: Um, and then, yeah, that's basically the end of the story. And thinker talks about how he, he calculates for his miscalculations on, Page 21, he says, I always have an alternate plan. In case I should miscalculate, this is our means of escape. But next time I'll be foolproof.
0: (sighs) So, like, essentially both of these villains are horrible, kind of. And so teaming them together is sort of horrible, too. Uh, They're like the two villains that I don't understand how they work. And, yeah, they're in the same issue. Yeah. So I just doubly don't understand them. But that's okay. It wasn't about them, really. They were just sort of the excuse.
1: Yeah. And I kind of... I don't know. Since they're both such crazy ideas, putting them together actually kind of works for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should get their own magazine. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the inexplicable tales. Uh, Shall we spider it up? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Guess Amazing what? S- you get to summarize s- Spider-Man. How long has that Yay. been? Yay!
1: Amazing Spider-Man 14 is our last book for April 9th, 1964. It's our last book for April 1964. And, ah, yes, this is the debut of the Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. And also guest starring the Hulk.
0: <laughs> and? And the Enforcers. That's right. Because that's not enough in one book.
1: No, this book is full of bad guys. It's Fantastic. This is written by Stan Lee, the poor man's Shakespeare, illustrated by Steve Ditko, the poor man's Da Vinci, and lettered by Art Simic, the poor man's rich man. (laughs) Which is delightful. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: You should just read this Um, entire first splash page because it's pretty interesting how they like approach talking to us sometimes the
1: grotesque adventure of the green goblin only the merry marvel mad men could have dreamed him up here's how it happened the gang of the bullpen said let's give our fans the greatest 12 cents worth we can let's get a really different villain a bunch of colorful henchmen for him and let's even add a great guest star so we did and here's the result another mighty marvel masterpiece Note, don't be impatient. The Hulk doesn't appear till later on in the story, but you'll be glad you waited.
0: <laughs> uh, they're funny.
1: All right. So the Green Goblin, he, uh, he decides, he, he's, he's a guy we've never seen before out of nowhere, but we meet him immediately. He's perfected his flying broomstick. He puts on his Green Goblin mask. He's like, okay, time for my career as Spider-Man's greatest villain to start. And he goes after the Enforcers. He's like, hey, Enforcers, remember how you used to work for the big man? You could work for me now, and I will help you beat Spider-Man and get revenge on him. And they're like, really? That sounds like a good idea. So the Green Goblin flies over to BJ Cosmos, whom we've seen before, if you remember.
0: I did vaguely remember, but I wasn't sure, you know, where. I remember the name. I
1: even wrote it down. It was Journey into Mystery 92 okay
0: so not even spider-man interesting
1: no yeah the, the he was the guy who wanted to make a movie out of thor
0: uh-huh and they did those weird special oh, effects with the yeah and like that's what loki hit him on the head and stupid stuff like that right yeah
1: mm-hmm. yep 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 mm-hmm. so that's that guy he's back here he wants to make another movie cool grigald flies his window and says hey um why don't you make a movie about spider-man i can get him and Cosmos doesn't believe it. it's like, no one even knows who Spider-Man is or even where if he's real. And you're going to get Spider-Man? Sure, whatever. I'll believe it when I see it. Change scene a few days later, Peter Parker's hanging out at the, at the school. He, uh, he's talking to Flash and Liz, his best friends and best buddies on the face of the Earth. And this guy hears in his shortwave handheld radio about a really creepy Green Goblin guy flying around the city. So Spider-Man's like, huh, that's weird. Let's go see what he's doing. Changes Spider-Man, swings up there and jumps on the Green Goblin's broomstick and says, Hey, what are you doing? Green Goblin's like, I'm looking for you. I represent this movie maker, BJ Cosmos. We're going to make a movie about you. He's in town at this hotel. Go see him. Spider-Man's like, okay. Goes and sees the guy. uh, And BJ Cosmos says, yes, sign this contract. I'll put you in the movies for $50,000. And Spider-Man's like, really? $50,000? My... My podcaster makes no, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where that sentence was going. The idea, you know, 50,000 is not a whole lot of money to be in a movie, but whatever. So, um, Spider Man signs a contract, and Peter Parker goes to J. Jonah Jameson to tell him that Spider Man's gonna be in the movie and he's gonna go get pictures. Betty's like, Wait a second, you're gonna go to Hollywood? There are lots of really beautiful girls there. I bet you can't wait to see them. And that blonde you've been walking home from school with. Peter's like, Uh-oh. oh, yeah, crap. Okay, well, I guess I'll deal with that later. Hey, Aunt May, can I go to Hollywood? I don't I don't like you going to Hollywood, Peter. you're, you're so fragile and but 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 Aunt May, I'm about to move out of the house. Can't you let me be an adult once in a while? Uh, I guess so I'll let you go. I can't keep you around forever. So Spider-Man goes to Hollywood. And he and the Enforcers and the Green Goblin and the set crew and everyone drive out, it says, a difficult journey to the desert. And they decide to, quote unquote, rehearse the action scene. By rehearse the action scene, I mean they attack Spider-Man. It, it takes Spider-Man a few panels, but he twigs pretty quickly to the fact that these guys aren't playing. These are the real enforcers. Whoever this Green Goblin guy is, he's gotten the real baddies there, and it's actually some trouble. So they fight in the desert, and there's a lot of sand, and there's a lot of dust, and eventually Spider-Man's able to sneak away in the, in the cloud. But back in New York, there's like a weird time warp where a whole bunch of time has passed, even though they've only been gone for like a few hours. <laughs> and um, they're like expecting mail from Peter and Aunt May's writing letters to Peter. And um, Betty Brant is wondering how many women he's sleeping with in Hollywood. Meanwhile, back to the fight that's really been going for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> well, Spider-Man, he did travel wanders- all the way to
0: California, right? Or I guess or Arizona, so, yeah, or something.
1: But that's still yeah, it's only like a
0: that's not that far.
1: Maybe the next day. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Anyways. So, um, the Spider-Man wanders into a cave in the desert and the enforcers, uh, Green Goblin sees him do this from up ahead. So he signals the enforcers, they follow him into the cave and they're a big boulder over the entrance. So there's this really cool sequence of the enforcers trying to find Spider-Man and he keeps like webbing them up one at a time and Green Goblin attacks him and there's more fighting and stuff. And suddenly in the middle of the fighting, the Hulk shows up. He was hanging out in this cave chillax and max and being all cool. A green guy uh, outside the school has to go to school. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so now Spider-Man's facing off with the Hulk, which is his worst nightmare come to life. Does not want to get hit by this guy. Actually does get hit by the guy and almost loses his head. Tries to web him up. Hulk tears through the webbing. There's more fighting. Um, Spider-Man finally dives into a pool or acts like he gets thrown into a pool and he stays under and just waits for everybody to go away. And it works. The Hulk wanders off. Spider-Man grabs, gathers up the enforcers that he had webbed. The Green Goblin flies away. And BJ Cosmos is upset that this picture is ruined. Spider-Man comes by tries to get his money. But it was all only payable once the movie was completed. So he, he just gets enough for a plane fare back to New York. He takes the bus instead to save some cash and goes home. Meanwhile, the Green Goblin flies back to his home, and he thinks about how he was going to use this enforcers gig and beating Spider-Man to get in with the crime mobs. And it didn't work out. Maybe better luck next time. But as long as nobody knows who I am, we're going to be pretty cool. And that's the end of the story.
0: I think I've said this before, but I'm still shocked that we're at Green Goblin already.
1: I don't think you've said that before. I'm pretty, I'm also pretty enthused of being Green Goblin.
0: Like, but I mean, like, I didn't realize he was that old of a character. Oh. Like, I didn't know he was a Ditko character. I always associate him with a Ramita character, but that's maybe because all the really, really classic Green Goblin stories are Ramita. I mean, honestly,
1: yes, you are correct, because the Green Goblin, his Ditko stories are a little bit kooky.
0: Yeah. The
1: one that I really love is the next one, the the 171819 trio.
0: Okay. This is like see when I was growing up and reading Spider-Man in my heyday, it was Hobgoblin. So right. Green Goblin to me is a little foreign. I of course know who he is and I know his importance and what he did to Spider-Man, which we don't need to get into. But yeah, I've never really read a lot of Green Goblin. So it's kind of cool to to you know get his first appearance here on his yeah, on his
1: flying broomstick. It- on his flying broomstick, which only lasts for the one issue, he Good. changes to the glider. Good, yeah. Uh. But I love the concept of the Green Goblin. I like it. So the first thing we see of him, he's in the first panel of the story. He is hunched over his green, go- his his broomstick, doing technical work on it. His head is in shadow, and the mask is on a little, you know, uh-huh. mask holder thing. Uh-huh. And it's just a really cool, effective way of communicating. Hey, this is a guy who wears a mask, even though the mask looks lifelike later on. This is just a guy who wears a mask, but we don't know who he is.
0: So I think my aunt, go ahead. Well, and
1: and then it's almost like Ditko did issue 10 with the big man and the enforcers and liked that, but wanted to stretch out the mystery element. So he's basically doing Ah. the same story again. He's getting the green goblin and the enforcers. But the Enforcers get captured, and the Mystery Man gets away with his mystery.
0: That is a great point. I never really thought about that. Yeah, they don't just reveal in the end that he was that one writer that we never heard of before, that they're talking mm-hmm. to a lot. Yeah. That's cool. That's my favorite thing about the Green Goblin in this story. Because honestly, he kind of doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, he,
1: except look cool. Like He's he looks- infinitely more interesting to look at than the Big Man was.
0: For sure, he's cool to look at, and now that I know he's a Ditko character, I am almost, I'm almost saying to myself, "Of course, he's a Ditko character," because he totally looks like a Ditko character. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I did like the beginning and end bookends, or you know, caps on this story of him just being in his goblin cave, being uber mysterious, because we haven't got mm-hmm. we haven't got that before. We always get a reveal, and, and it's now such we a don't.
1: Trope of Spider-Man, like long-term mystery villains, are a thing with Spider-Man
0: because of Green Goblin.
1: Green Goblin starts it. Yeah. And the Crime Master, he's only a couple of issues, but he's there. I think, well, you know, Ditko actually does this a few times. Um, We read the Electro issue, and we know from the origin story who the Electro is, but to Spider-Man, there is the unmasking moment at the end of the story. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, and I'm just, just like, getting these ideas. Okay, so Spider-Man is a masked character. Uh Uh-huh. But not in the secret identity, must remain secret to perfect my loved ones thing. He's just, he's a masked character. He's a man of mystery. No one knows who he is. So to invert that and flip it back on Spider-Man, his bad guys, no one knows who they are. Right. Everyone knows who Otto Octavius is. Yeah. No one knows who the Green Goblin is.
0: Right. It's cool. And I'm trying to think like, you know, normally bad guys get caught. So then you know who they are. Uh Uh-huh. So, the, not this one. The Green Goblin, like, um, um, is big enough that I actually bothered to look up Wikipedia a little bit and like see if they came up with any reasons why they created the Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, like, I guess Stan Lee had an idea to have a guy like visit an Egyptian museum, and there was like a Green Goblin uh, demon or something that possesses him. And Steve Ditko's like, nah, let's just make him a guy. So, I liked that they the made up a guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that other idea sounded very lame. But, uh, well, the uh, thing is, is like
1: that story is also going to get done a thousand times. Sure.
0: Too. Yeah. Um, and then there was like a whole big mul- multiple paragraphs on whose idea it was to have him be, I'm not going to say, and whether it should have been a mystery for as long as it was, and whether, you know, it was Ramita or Ditko or blah, blah, blah. And so all that stuff is always interesting, but, there's never, I have there's, a
1: very firm position on that matter. Uh huh. The thing is, we're not going to get to 38 for like three years.
0: Right. No, I know. <laughs> and we, I think we've decided not to even reveal, even though it's pretty obvious. We Everybody, the entire world knows. But let's just not say. Yeah. Who cares? But uh, it'll be interesting to, to watch, to read these and see if so, there's any hints.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, it will be interesting to follow along. And um, there was something else I was going to say about the whole Green Goblin shtick. And I forget now what it was. Oh, just that um the idea of the, the long term masked character continued throughout Spider Man's history. You had the hobgoblin, of course. Big time. Um but but even whenever I was getting back into comics as an adult in two thousand eight, you had like Mr. Negative, mm-hmm. who was this mystery villain during the um, you know, post one more day, brand new day era. And that's just that's a thing that we associate with Spider Man. It all starts here. It's really cool.
0: It reminds me because they were – one of the arguments was that Ditko wanted him to just be a nobody. Mm -hmm. Ditko does not agree that that's what he wanted, but that's what Stan thinks he wanted. And it's like, yeah, because it would be really cool because why – how come every time you reveal a supervillain, it's always somebody you know? know? Why couldn't it ever just be like, I don't know you, right? That'd be funny. And that reminded me of like – remember that character Scourge of the Underworld? In the yes. 80s. And like he's going around in all these different books killing villains. And finally, in the Cap book, for once, a Cap book is crossing over into these big events. And Cap stops him and pulls his mask off. And he's like, uh, I don't know who you are. He's <laughs> like, well, why would you?
1: It reminds me of that moment in um, – there's a DC Justice League episode maybe. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually seen it. I've only heard about it. Where like one of the bad guys gets body swapped with The Flash.
0: Okay. And he, oh yeah, I remember that. He yeah.
1: unmask[s] in the mirror, and he's like, "Who is this? <laughs> Who's Barry Allen?"
0: Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that yeah. was cool.
1: But th- the thing is, is that Ditko and Stan Lee, they do the unmask and don't know who the character is bit. Mm-hmm. They do that. They do it at least twice. They even, Lee even writes the same dialogue. Okay. If it was a if it was a mystery film, I'd say the butler did it. But I don't know who you are. He did that for Electro, he's gonna do it one more time. Okay. So I personally, based on what I've heard from Ditko himself saying Ditko had another idea for this character. Yeah. And he left the book just before it was all gonna culminate and other artists got to draw it. But the the revelation that came out with Ramita was definitely whom Ditko had in mind.
0: Yeah. I I, I almost have to agree with that. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um. so the enforcers okay I'm not going to bash on them too much but you can bash on them. You no, don't have to I, like them I I don't really need to bash on them too much I don't hate them or anything but uh, it is funny to me that I think what I liked about the enforcers the first time they appeared is that a sick was he sick did he have a cold or was that the blood yeah that was the cold issue right I think he had a cold or something and uh, he still defeats them in like three seconds because they're humans mm-hmm. and then in this issue it's like no actually we're going to have him fight these three guys for a really long time, which was less cool. i he had a
1: cold that day.
0: That was issue 10, right? I thought he had something going wrong with him. Maybe. But I don't remember. Anyway. No, that's not what it was. He fought the Enforcers and, like, the entire gang of New York yeah. in a warehouse yeah, or something like that. So, it was like, they weren't that big of an obstacle for him. But I guess if you, like, surround him in a desert, it's different. I guess that...
1: And Green Goblin was causing a lot of ruckus, too. Yeah,
0: that's true. Okay, so here's a stretch on a first. But is BJ... The first character to jump from one book to another and not be a main character and not be a regularly supporting cast member, you know?
1: I No, I, I mean, it's, I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Because,
0: um, like, obviously, been, like, you know, Hulk crossed over in Fantastic Four, so all his supporting cast is there, that kind of thing. Right. But this guy is just a guy. He's not really related to anybody.
1: This is a Marvel character who's not like the person in the book or one of the person's main people in the book. Yeah. And he's appeared in different books. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's just story building. He's just part of this world.
1: He is. He is. Unfortunately. Um, I think in a later Marvel handbook or something, he gets a name because BJ Cosmos is a is a studio name and he's actually Cosmos, Cosmosian or Cosmosian or something. Mm-hmm. It's. It ends with a J-I-A-N. I'm just not sure how to pronounce it. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's he's a person. He's a person. I really, really liked Liz and Flash in this book. They get two really great moments.
0: Uh-huh. Of her yelling at him?
1: Yeah. There's a part of the beginning where she's all about Peter and Flash is upset about it. And there's a part after he goes to Hollywood where Flash and Liz like yell at each other about, you know... I forget I, I don't have the comic in front of me. Why well, don't I have the comic in front of me? She yells to him about about no. how smart people yeah. actually run the world yeah. in the first one.
0: No, that was the second part. I don't remember. Oh that. no. Uh, no is it
1: all one? Is it just one interaction?
0: No, it's two because later she says, How come he didn't write me letters? And he's like, You're just trying to make me jealous. And she's like, Peter's a dreamboat, he's sensitive, tells articulate, you probably don't know what those words mean. And he says, ugh, and scratches his head. So Okay. Yeah, it's the first round she talks about nerds taking over the world.
1: Which is great, because I think we're finally in a world now where nerd culture is actually accepted. Uh-huh. And, you know, people who don't understand it at least are not too likely to belittle it, at least not in my circles. Um, but I was thinking about the panels where she, where he's like, I'm so hot and handsome and rugged and muscular. Mm-hmm. And she goes off on about what's really attractive. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's a little bit interesting because this is Stan Lee writing. We know how
0: insightful he is with women, but <laughs> well, he also wasn't rugged and attractive. So
1: well, I feel like in a way, cause you know, as, as adult men, what we think, what we think women see as sexy is not necessarily what women see as sexy. And we learn more about that as we get older. We don't understand it as a teenager. And then we find out more. We understand how people who are not in our own heads work. Um, I feel like Flash kind of represents the, 90s comics version of sexy which is not really sexy but like that muscles are the important thing that you got a big you know and that's actually more of a power fantasy than it is an attractiveness and liz is pointing out that no actually um that is not what women think is attractive at all but good job thanks for playing
0: well it's funny because like on the one hand comic books are all about muscle-bound people solving problems with their fists Mm -hmm. or superhero comics i should Specify, But uh, on the other hand, they have a long line of, you know, nerdy, non-muscle bound people creating those books. And so guys like Peter Parker, who started out seemingly a huge unpopular nerd, is going to be a real ladies man here. Already is. Mm -hmm. Already is. And even like you can go all the way back to, oh, I don't know, say Clark Kent as a way for these guys who are drawing comic books and probably on the fringe of society to like, you know, um, I don't know get back at women. I don't know if that's the right way to put it.
1: I of not get back at women, but like like sort of play out their own fantasies yes. of strength and ability and power. Yes,
0: yes. So and that's, I'm not saying that's what Stan's doing here because I don't know what Stan's childhood was like. Maybe he really, you know, was great and all, but.
1: Well, I think that that's one thing that's important to realize about sexiness in comics is that a lot of, like whenever you and I were growing up in the 90s, sexiness in comics was all about, completely 100% about what men wanted to see Mm -hmm. men wanted to see voluptuous women and men wanted to see themselves being super strong Mm -hmm. with those women right um the super strong muscular men was not a sex fantasy it was a power fantasy and you know in in a way the sex fantasies with the voluptuous women were also a power fantasy because hey we get to you know possess or whatever but like that power fantasy i think is where superhero comics kind of come from is because people want to be stronger sometimes for selfish reasons but also sometimes for really good reasons you go back to superman and you know this is the idea of we live in a marginalized culture we have very little power over our future and here's somebody who can make the government rebuild better homes who can you know stop the wife beater mm-hmm. who can you know, stop the pressure. And I don't even know why I am ranting on this, but I just I think that it's it's a little bit showing through here with Flash.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe it's Ditko responsible for this too, because we know he wasn't exactly a social butterfly. So
1: no, no, he so was not anyway.
0: I don't know. Yeah, Peter. This whole Liz Peter. No, it actually doesn't remind me of Superman and Clark and Lois because Lois hates Clark, but it's kind of like if Lois loved Clark, I guess. And then like when she's not looking, he's also Superman. Because he's Spider Man, but anyway.
1: Well, before we get too far away from the from the personal drama, we really should talk about Betty Brant.
0: I was gonna say, like, is she stalking him? Because how does she yeah. how does she know about Liz? I was trying to figure out how she would know about Liz walking him home or whatever she says. Yeah. So has she gone over to see Peter, and Peter's walking home with Liz? Actually. He's walking her home, she says. Right. So she went over to Liz's house?
1: Or they go to the same school. They might live in a a nearby neighborhood or something. Okay,
0: yeah. Or she just goes to school to hang out with Peter and he's walking Liz home.
1: Right. Actually, yeah. She might have gone to school to surprise Peter after school or something, which is something that you know people do. It's romantic. Mm -hmm. Um, But she sees Peter walking home with Liz and she gets the wrong idea. The thing is, is that Betty Brandt, Does not deal well with jealousy.
0: Apparently, because there's this there's this panel where he's thinking about the um, the money he can make to help Aunt May, and he starts smiling, and she's like, "Oh, so you're happy about all the Hollywood beauties you're going to be bagging when you cover this movie for Spider Man?" So that was really weird. Like Mm -hmm. she doesn't even he doesn't even say anything. He's just smiling, like he's he's happy he's going on a trip. Or in this case, we know what he's specifically happy about, money, because we can see his thought bubble. But she just goes right to, you're going to cheat on me.
1: Right. Because, and, and that thought is inspired by her seeing him with Liz. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, so that's what's bothering her. Yeah. So she's jealous. Yeah. And um, as, as we said in issue 13, this jealousy is actually going to be the, the, the thing that gives them the most trouble, actually. But yeah, it's not... It's not a good
0: look for you, Betty. So Green Goblin goes to Batman and says, Hey, I know this guy who wants to pay you a lot of money to be in a movie. Does Batman go to the guy? Mm. No, because he has no. money. So that's a bad example. Yeah. But say he goes to Superman. I know a guy who'll give you a lot of money if you go to this guy. Would Superman go to the guy? Probably not. No. Would Captain America go to the guy? No. Would Hawkeye go to the guy? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but Spider-Man goes to the guy. So that, again, is like... He's using Spidey as a prophet. I don't know. I'm, like, all hypersensitive about it now since we talked about it in a previous issue. But at the same time, he wants that money to help his Aunt May. So I can't, like, fault him horribly bad. But it does seem, like, a little non-heroic in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really mind it, though. Cause I, Spider-Man's been trying to use his powers to make money since, mm-hmm. issue f- since Amazing Fantasy 15.
0: That's true. But he also learned a lesson in that issue. But I guess... I guess he's trying to be responsible and make money. Or he's trying to make money to be responsible.
1: I was going to say since Amazing Spider-Man 2. No. And then I realized, well, no, because it actually goes back to his origin story. Mm -hmm. But ever since The Vulture, he's been trying to use his powers to make money. And this $50,000 in 1964 (laughs) is nothing to shake your nose at. Nowadays, it's a little bit, really? Making a
0: movie? I was trying to find, like how much a movie star would make in nineteen sixty four, but I sure couldn't find anything. Mm. I really wanted to know if this guy was being a you know a J. Jonah Jameson or if this is a decent price for a schlock movie. Right. I don't. so I don't know. I don't have an answer. Anybody been around any was anybody a movie star listening that was in nineteen sixty four? Fifty grand is that good to star in a movie that has your name on it? I don't know.
1: Salaries of
0: Hollywood
1: in nineteen
0: thirty seven. <laughs> well and the other thing is, like, I assume this guy's not, you know, uh, the best director in the world, and it's not going to be a high-end movie, per se. So you have to take that into account, too, and not look up, like, Spencer Tracy's salary. Mm-hmm. I don't know who you would look up.
1: But, um, but while you look that up, while at, you look that up, well, at, go ahead. We're looking at tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands. Okay. Zeppo Marx made 50000 Oh, well, there you go. Um, so he's not- But, like, Audrey Hepburn made
0: 200000 Okay, but I'm fine with him not being Audrey Hepburn. But uh, so fifty grand is not horrible. It's kind of a going rate. No. Um, Aunt May crying. Wow. Okay. I feel like she really backtracked in this issue a little bit. I don't know why.
1: Okay. Talk about that. I don't
0: know. Like we haven't seen a lot of Aunt May, but when we have, she's either been sick or she's going on trips with her friends. Uh, She seems really old in this. Like she's in a rocking chair and she's knitting.
1: The glasses and it makes her look And she even
0: looks older. And I don't remember her like really giving him a hard time about being like asthmatic and weak before. Like when he went to go fight the lizard, she was kind of a little worried. But she's also just like, okay, go have fun. Well, she he
1: had J. Jonah Jameson
0: with him. Oh, that's true. But she's like crying in this because he's leaving to go cover a movie for the newspaper.
1: I thought it was kind of a neat moment. I didn't think it was because he was leaving to go to the newspaper. I thought he was because he's getting older. Uh Uh-huh. And remember, this is all senior year of high school, so she's very much like the the parent who's about to lose her son kind of That's thing.
0: That's true. Emptiness um, syndrome. And she has no one else.
1: She, Yeah, she is out of people. Uncle Ben is gone, and this is her one kid, and she does worry about him. Um, and it's it's a little bit weird because, like, you know, I have my daughter who's a junior in high school, and we talk about how, you know, there are certain things about the fact that she's going to be moving out in a year and a half responsibilities and and other you know being you know self-sufficiency concerns and all that other stuff and it's 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 a weird it's a weird thought process to kind of process the fact that okay my parenting job the bulk of it is kind of wrapping up Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i mean you never stop parenting but the bulk of it is kind of wrapping up and now you've got to kind of go do your own thing and that's a weird thought process and
0: yeah i like this line that may or may not be pithy but I promise to dress warm, eat three good meals a day and take my allergy pills every morning.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: like, I assume that's actually a real thing that he maybe at some point used to have to do take allergy pills every morning. <laughs> Obviously he doesn't have to do any of that anymore, but right. Interesting that Peter at some point had allergies and was prone to being cold.
1: Well, it kind of supports my notion that the reason she dotes on him so much and treats him so weak is because before he got the spider bite, he was sure. Which, that he was actually kind of a, a, a weak child.
0: Which goes hand in hand with being a social outcast in high school and all that stuff, too. So Right, right.
1: So we get into the action. And, okay, I love the cave sequence. Cave like is a good. Lot. Yeah. And the coloring on that one panel where the Green Goblin's trying to burn his way out of the web. Uh huh. My only caveat on the whole thing is that there would actually be zero light in there, especially after they cover the entrance. And, I mean, if you've never, not you necessarily, but listeners, if you've never had the experience to go into an underground cave, like one of those they take tours on or whatever. Mm-hmm, I have. And they turn off the lights, mm-hmm. you don't know
0: what black is
1: until, until you are underground and there is zero light.
0: <laughs> it's funny that what's his face says, um, it's, but it's powerful dark in here. He can see in the dark better than we all can and i'm like what he can why do you think that and yeah no he can't as far as i know can he
1: Mm, that's a really good
0: point i mean you could just headcanon that to me the guy doesn't know what he's talking about and he's talking out of his butt because why would he know what spider-man can see or not see but i've never heard a spider-man seen in the dark better
1: now i really want to go back to issue 10 and see if there was a page in the dark
0: oh yeah or is he just assuming that spiders see in the dark or something
1: it's a weird assumption to make. Now, we could say that it actually is really dark in there, and Spider-Man's getting around with his spider sense. I don't think that works for the entire sequence, though, because there's a lot going on in this in this scene.
0: His Batman the- impersonation? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes! That's what that was. I love that. Yeah,
0: it is really fun. Um, and even though I'm kind of like, I kind of feel like they're just slapping it on there, the Hulk showing up, mm-hmm. in a way... I also love it because it's a good fight, it is. and I also part of me thinks, well, that's just more Marvel universe. You never know; you could be in a cave, and the Hulk could just be hanging out there. You know, I don't know. Seems awfully uh, coincidental, but but uh, it was good. I liked the fight a lot. I liked that he had no it- chance.
1: Yeah, it's a little weird because I feel like, you know, this is an era where Stanley is doing a lot to connect everything, especially through the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And the Hulk has had this like little narrative string for the last few months Aven- since Avengers One started. And this is kind of off on its own uh-huh. and doesn't really connect. The last time we saw the Hulk, he was being cradled and escorted away by Betty. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. As Bruce Banner. And she's like, I finally found you again. And now suddenly he's randomly in a cave. And I guess it's just to help illustrate that he really can't control his changes. And sometimes he changes to the Hulk and just goes and hides in the cave because, you know, everybody's out to get him. And that's what he wants to do.
0: Every time he walks away with Betty, he randomly shows up in someone else's book later as the Hulk. (laughs) Because that's how he started in Avengers 1 also.
1: Right, because at, at the end of The Incredible Hulk 6, he was with Betty, right? Yeah,
0: and cured, seemingly. Um, so, yeah, part of me is just like, okay, you're just really adding on to this book. Do we even need this scene? Like, we already got the Green Goblin and the Enforcers and all this Hollywood business. stuff. Now you're throwing in the Hulk. But on the other hand, one, I like the fight. And two, I like that the Hulk is such a chaos machine that he kind of ruins everybody's plans. He does. Like, even the Green Goblin was like, ah, oh, I wasn't planning on the Hulk. And now I'm just going to get the heck out of here. <laughs> Stupid Hulk.
1: And he makes the comment during the fight, you think I'm a witless fool if only you knew the truth. Uh-huh. That was cool. It, yeah, it's cool. It's also a little bit weird for the Hulk to say. Yes. It's almost like they're teasing their reader that there's more to know about the Hulk, not necessarily having the Hulk say what the Hulk would say. But it's interesting because the next time Spider-Man faces the Hulk, he finds out the secret.
0: So do you think the Hulk is saying, Cuz you could read it that way, of course, that he's really Bruce Banner and intelligent, or do you think the Hulk is saying that he considers himself smart in that incarnation? Like, I'm the Hulk. Just because you think I'm a brute that doesn't mean I'm not smart enough to, you know, get around and function and cause he's an he's not dumb. He doesn't go around Hulk smash yet. He talks. You are right. Oh my gosh. I like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what he meant. I initially thought he meant he's Bruce Banner, but
1: yeah, he's
0: normally he hates Bruce Banner. So he wouldn't like brag about that.
1: And other than a couple of, you know, the occasional mindless rampage or, you know, whatever, of violence and
0: anger, he is a relatively cogent thinker. He's a fight. He's a fight smarter. See, I'm not smart. I was going to say he's (laughs) a smart fighter and he always has been, even though like he, I guess, mostly never has to rely on that. Because he's the Hulk and he could just push through things. But if you watched how he fought the Avengers, for instance, he like had them on their toes the entire time as he's running away from them, you know? Like mm-hmm. he's always been an intelligent fighter. Even when he turns into the Hulk smash persona, he's an intelligent fighter.
1: Yeah, but I mean, he he strings together some pretty good sentences here. Yeah. That we are, that, yeah, you, you are right to remind that we are not yet to Hulk smash. This is actually a relatively intelligent creature. Mm-hmm. Never again will I be tricked by the lying words of an enemy. My only defense against mankind is my strength, and nothing will stop me from using it. Yeah, And that's, that's you know, that's pretty great.
0: And so just to, just to toot his horn, I like that he shreds Spider-Man's webs like paper, and Spider-Man gives him the hardest proportional strength of a spider punch, and it breaks his knuckles. Mm-hmm. And then Spider-Man's like, you know what, I'm gonna let him punch me but I'm going to use my Spider-Sense, so he just barely punches me. But even that knocks him back and almost, like, rips his head off. Right. So, like, yeah, the Hulk is a powerhouse against Spider-Man. That's for sure.
1: This uh, this issue and the occasional catching of a TV show episode was, like, the sum total of my concept of the Hulk as a child. Okay.
0: Well, it's a pretty good Hulk scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally random, but it's him.
1: And this is hulk's last appearance until tales to astonish okay which isn't actually that far away now that i think about it we've done 57 we have 58 and then he fights giant man in 59 before getting his own series in 60 so we're basically there
0: yeah i mean for us it's going to be 68 more episodes but month-wise month-wise we're there
1: um okay so peter has to take the bus back home he gets his His expenses money, which is enough for a fare back home. But then he takes the bus to save money. So I, you know, I used to take the bus a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents were divorced. And for a while, we lived in different parts of the state. And so I would do the Dallas-Austin bus route a lot because one parent lived north, one parent lived south. I have no clue what that cost. But since he was taking the bus, I was like, huh, I wonder what does it cost to take the bus from Hollywood to New York City?
0: A lot, I would imagine.
1: You would imagine. But it's not. Huh. It is $130. That is it.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Which blew my mind. So if you don't mind being on a bus for 26 friggin' hours cuz that's a really long time not, to be on a not bus. Not if I have my
0: iPhone, it's fine.
1: Right. I mean, I'm actually thinking about using the bus now the next time I want a solo trip somewhere.
0: Um So that's let's give him some heroic props since I was trying to tear him down for being Selfish money grabber. He takes the bus to give more money to his aunt. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then also he goes out of his way to rescue the enforcers from the Hulk.
1: because yeah.
0: The Hulk is going to go barreling back into the cave. And he's like, oh boy, I hope the Hulk doesn't find the enforcers laying out on the ground where I left him. So I better go grab him before he like steps on him. So that was cool too, because the Hulk is scary and he went out of his way to risk his life to save a bunch of bad guys who were trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. So Spider-Man's a yeah, hero, guys. Good. I'm not saying he's not a hero. I'm just noticing <laughs> this money thing, and it's kind of...
1: He's a hero who likes money, and we're conditioned yeah. to think that that's bad because of Superboy and others. I guess. Kind of like we're conditioned to think that killing your enemies is bad, because that's just the way stories have always done it. Uh-huh. But, um,
0: but in fiction, But that's not true, kids. Kill your enemies.
1: <laughs> if you're in a story.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Kill your yeah.
1: Um.
0: That's it. So I had oh, a few ahead. things on the last page. Go ahead. Go ahead. We can wrap this yeah. up.
1: So we finally get the Green Goblin's motivation at the end, mm-hmm. and it really was just to become the Big Man.
0: Yeah, he wants to take over the criminal circuit.
1: Yep, I thought so, that was a pretty great. So idea. that
0: goes gives, gives credence to your idea that Ditko's trying round two of the Big Man essentially. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense.
1: And he says he uses a phrase here in panel four, uh, if not for the area I chose for the uh, for the battle was the Hulk's stomping grounds. My dad used to say stomping grounds, Uh and I have never heard that expression used by anybody else in my life outside of this magazine right here. Stamping grounds or stomping grounds?
0: I think it's different
1: ways of saying the same thing. Yeah,
0: I've heard the expression. I don't know that I know anybody who uses it on a regular basis. Yeah.
1: I was trying to think, and I don't know if I've ever heard anyone else ever say except for my dad, because-
0: Like uh, if if someone said, you know, LA was my old stomping grounds, I would understand exactly what they meant, but- Exactly. But I don't know where it came from.
1: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, panel five, where he's um, got his tr- his tridentity still a secret. His mask is there laid out. He's ready to, you know, wait for his next chance to strike again. I was like, this is, this is ingenious. We have begun one of the greatest subplots of the classic Spider-Man era. Um, we're never <laughs> – we may – eventually but it's gonna be a real long time before we get to the big reveal but even even though that's so far off i'm just glad that we're here
0: well whoever he is at least once in a while he wears a suit yeah and in 1964 that is very um sadly super common so that means nothing
1: <laughs> right it actually means that he better watch out for the puppet master Ah. Uh,
0: yeah maybe he is the puppet master
1: the puppet master he just makes a, a guy in a suit that's all he does now that's all you gotta do yeah so, um, I'm going to get up some Twitter thanks. Okay. And some Facebook welcomes. You want to tell people where they can well, find us? Well, do you want to
0: do good and bad of the month first or no?
1: Oh, crap on a stick. You're right. It's the end of the month. Yeah. What am I doing with my life?
0: We're covering April. Okay. So. Um, this is a really easy one for me because it's so small, probably. Small sampling, I mean. There's only seven books. One, two.
1: There's only seven. So, should we run them down? Go ahead. So, Daredevil 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Daredevil two, where he fought Electro in the Fantastic Four building. Uh, Journey into Mystery one hundred five, which was wrapping up the two parter with Cobra and Mister Hyde.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, or or no, no, it just it's started the, it, the, I, started the two parter. Started because I have part.
0: no idea how it ends. I'm
1: yeah. uh Tales to Astonish, where Giant Man and the Wasp fought Spider Man. The Wasp actually got a backup story that was her solo story on an adventure and we realized that Spider-Man or spiders and Wasps are natural enemies. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 14, which we just talked about. The Fantastic Four 28, which we also just talked about. Strange Shells 122, which we also just talked about. And Tales of Suspense 55, which was part one of a Mandarin story. No one escapes the Mandarin. And it had the Watcher with the Sun Stealer. Um, the guy who landed on the Watcher's Moon and was oh. gonna steal the sun, and the Watcher just lets his ship crash, and Doctor Strange with Nightmare.
0: I think if the Watcher's gonna win any month, it should be this month. But <laughs> I'm not gonna pick it. But nope, <laughs> that was a good story though. I like that story. <laughs> that, was, that was a good story. Um, I think someone the other day because I follow people that post 60s Marvel all the time, and someone posted a yeah. like. They went to the moon picture, and I thought I thought I was going to comment, like, was there a dead skulled alien on that, in that comic? But I didn't. Anyway, uh, my worst, you can probably predict, is d- 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 Daredevil number two. D- 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 daredevil. He probably already had that written down. My best, my favorite, I'm going to go with FF. Seems like it's been a while okay. since I picked the FF. But even though we sort of tore it apart as we <laughs> critically examined it, as I read it, I really enjoyed it. And... I still think, you know, as a, as like the first team versus team book, it was a fun fight and all the characters were like on point and it was fun to see them interact. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite.
1: Um, I'm going to echo you a little bit. And, and I thought about not, I I figured you will probably picked Daredevil too, but I went back and thought about the stories. Um, Giant man versus Spider-Man was not great. Yeah. But it, is. but it had some good moments. It actually had some pretty great moments with the Wasp. Mm-hmm. Um, if I remember right, there were actually quite a few things I liked, but then at the end it got kind of done with the whole Wasp and Spiders and Natural Enemies thing. Right. Also, the terrible trio, as we were talking about on the podcast, I was having a hard time remembering what I liked about it, but I remember as I was reading it, I was like, this isn't bad. There's actually some good stuff going on in here. It's just some, you know, mixed in too many weird things daredevil 2 had a few decent art moments in a story that is otherwise really hard to get through yes it starts well with the with the tire the the car model.
0: yeah that's the best part until he picks up the engine and slingshots it across the room well you know yeah it's what you do sometimes i guess um so that's your answer dd2 okay so
1: daredevil 2 is my answer and it's no secret spider-man is going to be my top choice oh, i knew it for for this month i mean it's it's freaking issue 14
0: <laughs> yeah you have to pick it right
1: <laughs> right and um yeah really really excited so we've got some really cool stuff coming up in may we have a crossover with the avengers and sergeant fury in a kind of a weird way Um uh, we have uh craven giant oh well that's not a great giant man story. He's fighting the Colossus. I remember not liking that story. Um, the X-Men are going to go up against Namor the Submariner because nobody has fought Namor in a really long time. She <laughs> said sarcastically. He clear. hasn't
0: fought every team member yet. Right.
1: <laughs> um, Loki is going to appear in Doctor Strange. Mm. And we get the first appearance of the beetle in the Human Torch.
0: Okay. Really? Uh, cr- I did yeah. not know he was a torch villain. Interesting. I, I didn't I either he was so a spider-man first time villain to this series anyway right yeah because he's a beetle so it's like an animal
1: um speaking of spider-man villains we're gonna have craven and a little uh brief I'm
0: sorry i was just saying beetle is a is a uh, uh, uh animal so that should be a spider-man villain that's a rule oh you're right, right?
1: animal themed
0: anyway the
1: chameleon's gonna make a brief appearance in the next spider-man but he's mainly going against craven the hunter speaking of animal
0: themes yeah
1: and yeah just lots of really good stuff and there's a Fantastic Four Fantastic. is what?
0: Yancey Street? They go fight Yancey Street? It's,
1: it started on Yancey Street, but I don't know where this goes. I think this is a Skrull story, but I don't remember
0: what this issue is. Well, it's weird because it says it started on Yancey Street, and then I immediately think, oh, maybe it's like an origin of the thing, except the Watcher is on the freaking cover. So it can't be that low-key. Something must happen.
1: I think it, it gets kind of cosmic, but the fact that it, it starts on Yancey Street is like – quaint they're, they're going for literary or something
0: anyway yeah we'll find out it's nice to be surprised we'll find out all right so um so let's you're gonna do twitter or do you have that yet
1: uh no i got distracted
0: go okay, ahead. okay so i'll just tell you guys while he's looking up twitter that you can download our show on all the apps that do podcasts and i could be lying but i think they're all on there like apple and google and stitcher and stuff now if you have an app and you can't find us, please email and let me know. Maybe I can figure out a way to get us on there. You can email us by going to our website, makehoursmarvel.com, where you can find all those links I was just talking about. You can also find links to our social media accounts that John's going to talk about here in a second, Facebook and Twitter. I just read recently that Google Plus is going away, so I guess we are going away on Google Plus also. But for now, we're still on there also. Um, But back to that email idea, we have a contact form at com that you could fill out and tell me about your app that doesn't work with us, or you can uh, 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 email us directly at podcast at com. We also occasionally do mail dedicated episodes where we read your letters and respond. So if you want to write about anything else, we'd appreciate that too. All right.
1: Quite the number of followers lately. Um so David Yates has recently started following us. want to say welcome to I'm David Yates. He's a big fan of all things comic book related. Hashtag long live the Legion. Um, Aqua DCD, who's a golden, silver, and bronze age comic enthusiast. Yassine B, who is uh, under, uh, at Y underscore bad. And their profile is in French. So I'm not entirely sure what it says. Sparks 1000, I am kind of shy. I like science fiction comics going to the movies, playing online games. Michael David Sims from Earth2.net recently stumbled across us. And I've been a longtime fan of his shows, uh, Bigger on the Inside, which is a Doctor Who podcast. And The Edge of Forever, which is a Star Trek podcast. He does both of those with a man named John Toland. I'm sorry, Dan Toland. And they went through all of Doctor Who.
0: Oh, that would be interesting. All of it. Like like in order in the way I like? Uh Uh-huh. Nice. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to check that out. They
1: started with the beginning of 1963 and made it all the way up to the series as it was at the time.
0: Maybe they can inspire me or convince me that the stuff I'm stuck on is worth pushing through. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you need that extra help, you know?
1: Yep, yep. So, um, unpacking the power of Power Pack. Oh, at Jif Rick present, who uh, uh, he has a podcast about the nineteen eighties Power Pack. Which have you ever read Power Pack, Mike?
0: I've, I've dabbled. I like the idea. The first two years ish,
1: the like twenty five issues, I think, of the original creative team, d flippin' light. Yeah, love the original Power Pack, and even after that creative team, it is pretty solid for a while. It's only like the last writer that kind of takes it off the rails. Um, regular Joe at pick up the pace and Marvel universe online, a fans uh, uh, thread that like is like spitballing ideas for a Marvel MMO. We have Adam, AKA check the circuit, AKA furious five at check the circuit. Okay. He's an educator and he's has a uh, degrees in acting and broadcast journalism. We have, Okay. Um, Hadea the life, I think is how we're going to say that Dan Hadea every day. Okay. We have <laughs> a friend of mine for years online, Glade, who does not have his last name here on Twitter. So I will not say it, but he's at GIL podcast. Um, I think he's got his tweets locked down. So you had to send a request if you want, but he does a podcast called
0: geek of all trades. No,
1: no. The podcast is geeks in love. He describes himself as a geek of all trades. Does Does um, his
0: last name start with P? Yes. Okay. You know what was cool about him once? Is he really loved that movie Dread. Mm-hmm. And like he went online and to all his friends said, if you want me to, I will buy you a copy of this DVD because I want to buy as many copies as possible to support this movie that I love so much. Yeah. And it worked. I said, yeah, send me a copy. And he freaking did. Did you watch it? Oh, yeah. I thought it was great, too. But I have a copy of Dread because of you, Glade P. So thank you very much.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I love that story. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike is at comic book underscore Mike. He's a pop culture fan posting whatever takes his fancy. Uh, At Disney underscore discuss, a Disney discussions podcast. So that's interesting. This is it really podcast. At is it really PC? The podcast that challenges popular opinions about movies want to hear my popular opinion? Unpopular? I don't know. Something popular opinions about Batman versus Superman? Feel free to ask. Um, Greg Barr, also a person I've kind of... We've kind of run in similar circles for a long time. We don't really talk a whole lot, but I've been saying the name Greg Barr for years and years and years. Lifelong Superman fan, comic book reader, sci-fi fan. If I'm not mistaken, I think... I might know Greg Barr from all the way back in the sci fi bulletin board days, back in my Star Trek books phenomenon. Anyways, Murray Jackson at MurrayJ2009, welcome. At Captain Marvel News, thank you for following us. Mike McKinney at RMMJD. Jesus Rubio Villaverde at Piquetostes. He uh, is a journalist, uh, comedian artist, and translating. Um, he studies history in the U I'm not sure what U N E D stands for. He likes Marvel in DC and, uh, he likes history. Yes. And finally, Dave Mitchell at Dave Mitchell, UK. <laughs> I am not any of the famous ones. <laughs> I didn't know there were famous Dave Mitchell's, <laughs> but I'm glad that you are not one of the famous ones. Cause that means you get to have a life. Awesome. So, everyone's been following us on Twitter. Lots and lots of followers lately. Thank you so much for supporting the yes, show. Yes. Thank you very much. We, um, we always appreciate retweets. We always appreciate uh, shares on Facebook. Um, you can also find me and Mike on Twitter. I am at John Reads Comics. I have three other podcasts, three other, two other podcasts that I do. All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast, which is at All the Pouches on Twitter, and uh, S- Super Silly Sentai which is at Silly Sentai on Twitter, where my son and I do commentaries for Japanese superhero shows, Super super Sentai. It's pretty great. I want to say hello to some people who've liked us over on Facebook. And those are Scott Edelman of comic book um, pedigree, Murray Jackson, who I believe also was one of those people I mentioned over on Twitter and Jonathan Schaefer Haynes, who is a podcaster, I think. Um, And yes, so thank you very much for liking us over on Facebook. I think I did it all.
0: Good job. All
1: right. We're going to wrap this baby up?
0: I think we did.
1: Okay. Well, until the terrible trio team up with the impossible man,
0: make ours Marvel. marvel.